book of Ruth, I want to lay just a brief uh, foundation. We don't have uh, all the time that we truly need to to walk through. You know, the book of Ruth, it starts off and there's a lot. Uh, As you look at the background of what's taking place, you look at the context, you look at what the Lord is trying to do and, and everything, the moving parts in this book. But this morning, I want to draw your attention for just a moment to one verse. And I'm going to read this one verse, then we're going to back up for a few moments and lay a little bit of a foundation as we lead into something that I truly believe will help us as as Christians to grow. I believe this one subject not only will help us as Christians to grow, but it's something that we are not seeing in churches, and it's something that we need to see within our own personal lives as we come to this book of the Bible. Now, you're going to see here in a few moments a, a contrast you're going to see in chapter number 1 up to verse number 10 in just a few minutes in verse number uh, chapter number 2 there is a, a specific spirit or an attitude that is beginning to take manifestation but as you come to chapter number 2 verse number 10 you begin to see a a just turn in events you begin to see something that is expressed you begin to see a, a change in in the entire context of what is going to take place moving forward So look with me for just a moment. Verse number 10, chapter number 2, the Bible says this. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Look with me one more time. Verse number 10, I want you to catch this. I want you to understand what is taking place here in a moment. The Bible says again, Verse number 10, chapter number 2, Then she fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? That thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. The book of Ruth is a book that is, is quickly moving. A little background for you to understand about this book. If you have been in our first semester, you would have gone through this book in our Old Testament survey. And this is just a little bit of a survey for you. We're going to hit it quickly so you understand what is going on in the background of this book of the Bible. But this book takes place during the time of the judges when every man did that which was right in their own eyes. As you come to this book of the Bible, you're going to see a lot of apostasy in the nation of Israel. And there was a lot of people still at this time, though there was a lot of apostasy, there were still going to be those who were people of conviction. Those who are people of commitment, those who are people that were going to try to do something consistent for the Lord. And though you see Israel living one way, as you come to the book of Ruth, you're going to see that while there is that one story that is taking place, the nation of Israel and how they are living, the way they are conducting themselves, you're going to see a story begin to unfold about Ruth and Boaz that begins to picture that though there is one way here, Ruth and Boaz picture another way. You'll see that in the nation of Israel there is much rebellion that is taking place. But in Ruth and Boaz you're going to see that they are a righteous example. They are living in righteousness if you would. You'll see the nation of Israel is very immoral. There's a lot of immorality taking place. But in Ruth and Boaz you see integrity. In the the nation of Israel you see ignorance to God. But in Ruth and Boaz you see the insight that they're looking to do things God's way if you would. In the nation of Israel you're going to see irresponsibility taking place. But in Ruth and Boaz, you begin to see an example of responsibility. You see, this book takes place on on two stages here. As you come to the book of the Bible, you'll see in the book of Ruth that it takes place in Moab and Bethlehem. There are three countries into which the people of Israel went when they were backslidden. You'll see the first being Egypt. Egypt was addressed last week. If you were here for Family Sunday, you saw and you heard that it was a picture of bondage. 
It was a picture of worldliness. It was a picture of sin. And sadly, one of the things that we're finding in many of our churches and in many Christians' lives is that we are satisfied and we are okay with living in Egypt. We're okay with living in a backslidden society. We're okay with living in a worldly society and bringing it into our homes and bringing it into the church and welcoming it. We're okay living in sin, hey, as long as you deal with others, but don't touch my sin. And that is a sad reality that we are seeing in many churches. You're starting to see this, and it's no longer something that is preached on because preachers don't want to step on toes of people that are walking through the doors of the church. Just the other day, I shared this uh, last week, but... We play basketball on Tuesday evenings and we're able to play. And one of the things that was just recently addressed, this was something I shared with you last Sunday, was a very touchy subject. The subject that was addressed in this meeting, there was a, a guy who gives devotions, a wonderful, wonderful man, and he, he has given devotions for many years and he t- tries to take a time where he realizes that many of the men that come to this basketball time do not go to church, they're not plugged into church, they're not individuals that are necessarily always faithful, and so he wants to give them a little bit of an opportunity to, to be introduced to some of the things and the truths of God's Word. And so he was dealing with the subject. And he was dealing with a subject on uh, homosexuality, if you would. And how sometimes, if we're not careful, it enters into the church. And how do you address that? And this and that. And, and so there were men that were going around and sharing all of their answers. And some of them were saying, well, I, we're not to judge. We're supposed to just love people. And this and that. And there was a lot of just uh, the mentality of, hey, you just, you just love and, and you just you know leave it be. And, 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 and so we began to, to go around and I'm listening and... For just a moment, I say, let me just say one thing. And I began to to share that while we ought to love those individuals that come and we welcome them, that we must not shy away from sharing the truth in God's love. You know, there, there are far too many churches that are, that are welcoming people and welcoming uh, sin into the church and that we ought to. We ought to welcome people. But as people walk into the house of God, we should not shy away from letting them know that, hey, God loves you, but God does not love your sin. We're living in a society today where there are many people who are so afraid of sharing the truth that they almost just welcome the sin and they let the worldliness and the sin enter into the church and they're okay with their church turning into an Egypt itself. And so after that devotion, I I left and you never know how things are going to be uh, received and, and all of that, but just yesterday, I received a couple of emails from a couple of those guys, and it kind of took me by surprise whenever I saw the emails, and I did not know what was coming next. I didn't know if the in the emails it was going to be a matter of how dare you say something like that. I don't agree with what you had to say. I just didn't know. But in each of those emails from all three of those guys that they were sending an email, we get an email every single week and we see the names and you can click and you can, uh, my, my email is pretty obvious. My last name is Farmer and my email is The Farmer. That's, that's just how it is. Kelly tells me it's a little prideful when people ask on the phone, hey, what's your email? And I say, my email is thefarmer03. She says, it sounds like you're saying you're the only one. I said, well, I kind of am, you know, it's just kind of how it works. Joking, but she says, it's a little prideful. I said, well, you come up with something. I don't want to just Josh Farmer 03 at iCloud, you know, it just kind of sounds boring. So The Farmer. But anyways, you can click on emails. So I received those emails, and I was encouraged. I was encouraged because in one of the emails, the gentleman said, I had never heard it put that while we 
ought to love, that we ought to not be ashamed to share truth, but we can share truth and do it in a loving manner. Can I share with you, one of the things that we're seeing in in our society and many Christians' lives is that the reason that they are so afraid to share truth is because we don't know how to do it without being hateful about it. Can I share with you, you'll find that even as God addresses sin, we can see that all throughout Scripture, you'll see that as God is addressing sin, He's doing it in a loving manner. We say, oh, it's mean. No, God is love, the Bible tells us. You can share the truth of God's Word and doing it in a loving way, and as you begin to address sin, and as you begin to address things that are not supposed to be within someone's life, you do it in a loving manner, and you'll find that people are not going to shun you away, but they're going to say, hey, you're right, I need to address these things. The second email, the gentleman was reaching out and said, hey, I just want to uh, say I appreciate that you are, are, are a part of a church that takes a stand on what the Word of God has to say. Look, I'm encouraged by these things. I'm encouraged to know that there are, there are Christians that, hey, they go to a different church and we don't necessarily always get to fellowship. We might fellowship on Tuesdays and it's going to be rare every once in a while, but hey, we can agree that that's the truth of God's Word. And so then Preston, the gentleman who runs the league, reached out and he just very simply said, hey, I appreciate you sharing some insight. I had not looked at it in some of the ways that you brought about. I was encouraged. I walked away. I was sitting on my, on my couch, and I was reading each of these emails, and before I opened the emails, I was a little nervous. <laughs> Uh-oh, I'm not going to be welcomed back into the league because I said something. As I walked away, I was thinking, you know what? As a child of God, we're not called to be silent. You want to realize, you want to know why our nation is in the state that it's in? Is because Christians have stayed silent for far too long. We're afraid to address sin. We're afraid to address things that need to be dealt with. And so we're staying silent on those matters. Well, you see Egypt here. Egypt is a picture of bondage, of worldliness, of sin. Babylon, you see the cultural and spiritual apostasy taking place. You think about Moab. Moab is described as being unfaithful, disengaged, unmoved toward the things of God. And that is what you're seeing in this book of the Bible as they're taking their journey. And you think about this book of the Bible for just a moment, and the purpose of this book reveals much. It reveals that even in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trials, in the midst of tragedy, that the Lord's salvation will still shine bright through all of those things. You say, I just don't know if that's accurate. Well, you go and you look at the story of Joseph. I don't know about you, but when I look at the story of Joseph, I see that he faced some trials. I see that he faced some tragedies. I I see that he faced some troubles. Then all of a sudden you fast forward and the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. You go and you, you look through the life of Moses and you'll see that, man, this was a man, he was, he was placed in a, a carrier and left. But God. Joseph was thrown into a pit. He was, he was abandoned by his brothers. But God. The Ruth, the book of Ruth, as you walk through this book of the Bible, you're going to see that God is preparing the house of the king of David. And you begin to see that it was Ruth who would become the great-grandmother of King David. Once again, trials and troubles and tribulations, and they're facing difficulty. Look with me in chapter number 1. In chapter number 1, verse number 20, the Bible says, And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She's full of bitterness. I mean, you think about Ruth. Ruth could have very easily been just as bitter as her. And she could have said, hey, my my husband is dead. I'm going to be bitter. But God. 
You see, at the very beginning of this book of the Bible, you're going to find that there is a lot that is taking place. It's fast moving. It's not slow. It's, it's quickly moving. And as you study this book of the Bible, you're going to find that in chapter number one, it's full of bitterness. It's full of running from things. It's full of trials and troubles and all of that. But then you get to chapter number two, verse number 10, and you see that it's no longer grudges and it's no longer bitterness that is being dealt with, but now it's gratitude that is being dealt with. Can I share with you, you might have walked into the church this morning. And you walked in and you're saying, Preacher, you don't know what I have been going through. You don't know the cards that I've been dealt. You don't know the trials that I have faced. You don't know any of that. I get to be bitter. If there's anyone that gets to be bitter, it's me. I've studied Scripture. And I must confess that there are many people in Scripture that as I look at their stories, I say, you know what, if there was anyone that probably could have said, hey, I get to choose to be bitter, they have a pretty strong case. One of my favorite individuals to study right now for the last year or so has been Paul. I don't know about you, but Paul was persecuting the church. Now he's trying to reach people. The same people that he was persecuting, now he's telling those people that, hey, uh, we're on the same team and, hey, I'm trying to reach the people that you were trying to reach and, hey, we're, we're able to do these things. And, and, and Paul, look, he, he faced some things. I mean, Paul, if, if, if any of us are living the life of Paul, Think with me for just a moment. Paul is living his best life. So he thought. He's persecuting the church. He gets to do whatever he wants. He gets to say whatever he wants. I mean, this, Paul was not just an ordinary guy. Paul was, if there was anyone that was, that was uh, head and shoulders above everybody else, it was Paul. Paul was a very individual that, 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 that was very powerful and that, that was bright and, and very intellectual. All of those many things. All of a sudden, Paul's entire life is completely and radically changed when he comes in contact with the Savior. Now hold with me for just a second. Paul's life was one way, and now it is this way. Paul wasn't beaten whenever he was persecuting the church. Paul wasn't facing some of the persecution that he was now enduring whenever he was the one that was on the other end persecuting the church. Paul wasn't thrown into prison like this whenever he was persecuting the church. And so hold with me for just a moment. I don't know about you, but many Christians, if we're not careful, the way that we would look at Paul's story, we would say, hey, I was better off before I was a Christian. Whenever I was persecuting the church, I got to say whatever I wanted and no one bothered me. Before I was, uh, uh, you know, after I was saved, all of a sudden I'm enduring all this affliction. I'm enduring all of the, the, this heartache. I'm being thrown into prison. It's a nasty prison. I'm, I'm ship, shipwrecked. I'm, 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 I'm thrown down a, a hill and I'm beaten. I'm, I'm stoned. I'm, I'm going through all of these things. I get to choose bitterness. In the book of Philippians, you find that Paul says this. In chapter number 1, go with me there. I want you to see these words. Because in chapter number 1, in the book of Philippians, you see that Paul begins to address these things, and he does it in such a way that I believe will help us as we lead into the book of Ruth for just a few moments. In chapter number 1, verse number 12, he goes on to say, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now look, for just a moment, Paul understood one thing. It's not about me, it's about the gospel advancing. Lord, what does that look like? What does that mean? I don't know, but Lord, I'm sold out. Verse number 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace, in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Wherefore, if you were to say it that way, notwithstanding, speaking, hey, nevertheless, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. You say, so what are you trying to tell me? Look, you look at the life of Paul. You'll find that Paul was an individual that before he was persecuting the church, everything was fine. All of a sudden, Paul's life has changed, and now Paul has entered into a stage of life where he is now telling people about the gospel and about the life that has been completely changed. Now he's enduring shipwrecks. Now he's enduring imprisonment. Now he's enduring being beaten. Now he's enduring being a stone. Now he's enduring all the persecution himself. You say, oh, he deserves to be bitter. All I see in chapter number one is a man that understood this. I don't know what the will of God for my life will always look like. But I am grateful that no matter what, I get to serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Hey, some preach the gospel this way, some preach this way, but hey, the gospel's advancing. They don't get to decide. You see, as you come to the book of Ruth, you're going to see some things that are taking place. And in chapter number one, you begin to see that everything is falling apart. Right at this very moment, you might have come to the house of God this morning and say, hey, I'm there. Everything's falling apart. Everything is getting worse and worse. And in this trial of the famine, the family of Elimelech and Naomi make a number of mistakes that you see in this book of the Bible. The first one that you'll begin to see is that they're just trying to endure these things. And, and as they're trying to endure the, the, the trials and the troubles that they're facing, those things that they're enduring are becoming master of them. Can I illustrate it this way? You're facing some hardship this morning. You're going through some things. You're struggling. You're, you're facing some heartache. And it's consumed you to the point where you're allowing bitterness to enter into your heart. And it has become master over your life. They begin to do this. They begin to allow this. As a matter of fact, you see it illustrated in verse number 20 when she says, Call me not Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. The second thing that you begin to see that's going to take place is they begin to escape these things. You see, one of the dangers in our society and many Christians' lives is we are so afraid of what the will of God truly is. Can I share with you for just a moment? I have gone through some things over the last six or so years that, that truthfully, and I pray the Lord would, would use our lives and the Lord would allow us to face things and allow us to be able to be a help. And sometimes the way the Lord works is not the way that we would choose for the Lord to work. But you want to know one of the dangers in our Christian lives, and many of us are facing this, is when trials come our way, we don't want to address them. We don't want to walk with the Lord in the midst of those. We want to escape those things. And one of the dangers within that is sometimes, if we're not careful, we begin to run from all of the things the Lord is trying to teach us. You see, right this very moment, you might be in the midst of a trial. Can I encourage you of a couple things? The first thing you might be finding is you're trying to escape it. The Lord is trying to increase your faith. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Hey, you're trying to escape, and the Lord's saying, no, endure it so I can strengthen your faith. 
You're trying to escape it, and the Lord's trying to increase your patience. James chapter 1, verse number 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You're trying to escape it, but the Lord is trying to increase your maturity in Him. Job 23, 10, but He knoweth the way that I take. When He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You're trying to escape it, but the Lord's trying to increase your fruitfulness. John 15, 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. You see, you're trying to escape it, and he's trying to turn you around. Psalm 119, 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. You see, there are things that you'll find in Scripture, and you see this in the beginning of the book of Ruth, that the Lord is trying to do some things. The Lord is trying to work, and you're going to see a transition here in chapter number 2. Let me ask you this for just a moment. Maybe you are facing some trials, and you're going through some troubles, and you're enduring some things. Are you enduring those, and you're just kind of letting them be master of your life? Are you trying to escape them, and they're, they're, they're just they're things that you're running for? You don't want to learn any of the lessons that God is trying to teach you. I've asked those questions. Lord, why are you allowing this to take place within our life? And I don't get an answer right away. As a matter of fact, there are some things that I have been praying for the last couple of years. Lord, why is this taking place? Lord, why are you doing it this way? And I still, to this day, have not received an answer on some of those. But can I share with you, because I know the God of my salvation, I know the Lord that has always been faithful, I don't have to have all those answers to remain faithful to Him. He's never failed me, so why would I think that He's going to start right now? The third thing you see is not only that sometimes we endure them or escape them, but can I encourage you to enlist them? You see, they're no longer controlling you, but now you're allowing those things to be things that you're learning for, and now you are the master to those things. You're saying, Lord, they're not going to control me. Lord, I give them to you. You deal with your servant. And so in chapter number 1, you see a lot taking place. And I want you to understand all this because as you get to chapter number 2, verse number 10, if you don't know all of the events that are surrounding what is taking place in this book of the Bible, I don't know if you can fully appreciate the, the, the seriousness of chapter number 2, verse number 10. In chapter number 2, you see the Bible tells us in verse number 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. A mighty man of wealth. You see this meeting that's going to take place. In verse number 2, you see that she's going to go and she's going to start gleaning. And she's going to be gleaning in a field. There's going to be a meeting in chapter number 2, verses 3, on down to verse number 6. In the word that you find, in verse number 3, the Bible says, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her half was to light on a part of the field. This word hap speaks of happens or perhaps this was not something that happened by accident, but the Lord had been preparing this one meeting that was going to take place. As you continue transitioning on down, you come and you begin to see that the Lord is trying to work in us and for us and through us. In chapter number 2, verses 7 on down to verse number 9, you see that Boaz begins to care. And in verse number 8, he says this, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence. But abide here, fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. Go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? When thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Now, for just a moment, I want you to understand, 
Ruth was a woman. Ruth was a poor woman. And Ruth was a foreigner. Everything that she is about to experience and experience, and she had no right to deserve these things. And so as she is aware of the surrounding and aware of the situation, she falls on her face, verse number 10, the Bible says this, and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. This morning, I want to draw your attention to verse number 10, and I want to preach this message on being a grateful Christian. Right this very moment, we're living in a society that is full of ungratefulness. We're living in a very selfish society. We're living in a society that is full of lies. We're living in a society that is full of pleasure. We're living in a society that is full of sin, and we are aware of that. And while we are living in a society that is full of all of those many things, that is an obvious statement. That is something that should be expected. The thing that is troubling is not only that the society is living that way, but we are living in a society that is full of Christians that are very selfish. We are living in a society that is full of Christians that are very ungrateful and very self-pleasing and only are searching for all of what they can get for their own gain. You say, well, what are you getting at? You go and you study Scripture and you'll find that there are things that will grow a Christian, things that will strengthen a Christian, and things that will kill a Christian. You want to be miserable? Be ungrateful. You want to be someone who is always sad and always longing for more? Then be an ungrateful person. You say, no, I want to flourish. I want to be a happy Christian. I want to be a happy and enjoyable. I want to have joy of the Lord. Hey, be grateful. In verse number 10, you see a a spirit of gratitude that takes place. In chapter number 1, on up to this point, you're only seeing grudges. But then, all of a sudden, you see a transition from grudges to gratefulness. And we see three things. Notice with me, number 1, the meaning of gratefulness. Gratefulness is expressing or communicating to other people the specific ways in which they have blessed and benefited our life and looking for ways to bring honor to them. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. It doesn't say for everything. It doesn't say because of everything. It says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You'll find that this matter alone concerning gratefulness will either slowly kill a Christian or slowly grow a Christian. There are things that we are going to encounter in life and there are going to be problems. There are going to be situations. There are going to be things that we're questioning and wondering. But one of the things we can always go back to is how faithful our God is and how grateful we can be because of that. You think about Scripture. You think about pride and pride believing that you have achieved something and that you were not helped on that. And if you're not careful, gratefulness is acknowledging the fact that I have nothing and everything that I do have is because of God. The Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 7, Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Can I summarize it for you? Who do you think you are thinking you did something? Well, you, you don't realize I, I'm the one who, look, the Lord, Lord didn't do anything for me. Everything you've got that's good, the Lord's given you. Uh, well, we're living in a society today that, that is teaching, that, that, that there are many churches that are teaching that you can work your way to heaven. No, find it in Scripture and show it to me. Because then all of a sudden it would be rested in what you have done. 
But we find in Scripture the Lord finished it on the cross. You see, we're living in, in a society that has lost this idea of being grateful. And you find in this passage of Scripture and many others in Luke chapter number 18, you can go and read this for yourself in verses 11 through 14, you see a spirit of ungratefulness and an attitude of ungratefulness. And go with me there for just a moment. I want you to see this. In Luke chapter number 18, you see the Pharisee here. And in Luke 18, verse number 11, the Bible shows us this. The Pharisee stood... Now listen to this. He says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me as a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You want to see what a a spirit of, of ungratefulness looks like? A spirit of ungratefulness looks like a church member walking in the doors of the church. They walk in, they sit in their seat. They, they, they're, they're willing to acknowledge the problems of everyone else. And they come in and they, they sit in their seat and after the service they walk up and they shake my hand. And they say, hey, I, huh, aren't you glad that your church is more like me and not like the rest of them guys? I mean... I'm faithful. <laughs> I tithe. Soul winning takes place on Saturdays. Guess who's there? Me. Oh, I acknowledge the, the goodness of the Lord. All those others, you know, just, hmm, just a bunch of sinners. Pastor, aren't you thankful for me? I look at him and say, that's one way to put it. That's one way to put it. Ungrateful. Think that they have accomplished these things. Can I share with you, as a 16-year-old man, I realized that, Lord, I don't have anything and I need you. Whenever I was 16 in January of 2010, I realized the Lord was calling me to preach. And I realized, Lord, I am nothing without the power of God in my life. Lord, I need you. I don't need to be eloquent in my speech. Lord, I don't need to have all of these academics. I don't need to have all of these achievements and all of these accomplishments. Lord, I don't need all those things. I need the power of God in my life. As a child of God, you walk in the church and you realize, hey, it was only by the grace of God that you're sitting here tonight. Hey, you walk in the church and you begin to acknowledge all the blessings that you have and the safety of your family and the provision of God in your life. And you don't look and say, yeah, I've done those things. No, it's only by the grace of God. A grateful spirit, not something that is saying, hey, look at what I am and look at who I am. Yeah, if we were looking at who we are truly in the mirror, you'd see just how wicked you are, just how vile you are, just how undeserving you are of all of the blessings that God has given you in your life. It's only by the grace of God. As you walk through Scripture, you'll find many times that she is falling on her scripture, her, her face right here, and she is offering reverence right here in the meaning of this gratefulness. Number two, we see the moment of gratefulness. In verse number 10, notice what the Bible says. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? How many times in my own life, and I'm sure many of you have done this, 
but you're sitting in your seat. Maybe you're on vacation. Maybe you're sitting in a recliner. Maybe you're driving to work. Maybe you're sitting in church. And you're overcome by the simple realization there's a loving God who sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross for you and for me. And you're sitting there and you say, Lord, I didn't deserve that grace. This past week, we were watching a a skit at our Valentine's banquet with a group, two gentlemen called the Skit Guys. One of my favorite all-time skits, I was showing this to Brother Zach and Brother John the other day, that they do is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and right after Jesus has just gone to the cross, Peter has just denied the Lord. Peter and Jesus, as they're illustrating this, he begins to ask Peter, Peter, lovest thou me? Three times. Feed my sheep. Peter is standing there, and in this skit, you can truly see, and we don't know what all took place, but we do know this. As Peter is probably acknowledging, Lord, you know I love you. The man that is portraying Peter pauses for just a moment after he hears those words one more time. Peter, do you love me? He's overcome with emotion and overcome with tears as he just begins to stop and he says, Lord, you know I love you. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve these things. The gentleman that is portraying the Lord in this one video right here says, Peter, that is grace. You see, today, we, none, not a single one of us deserve the grace of God in our lives. And as you come to verse number 10, Ruth has found this grace and she falls on her face She bows herself to the ground and she says this. Why have I found grace in thine eyes? There are many days when I go through life and I just ask the Lord, Lord, why? Why have you been so good to us? Lord, why have you been so good to my family? Lord, why have you been so good to me? Lord, why have you allowed a a young boy that grew up in a a broken home, we weren't in church, we weren't doing any of those things to, to, to experience the grace of God and to see even in the midst of one of the darkest times in my own life as a young boy wondering where is my dad and where are my parents? Why are my parents not together? And why are we facing all this that I found a heavenly father that fixed all of those things? Why why have you allowed those things, Lord? Why have you allowed for us to experience the grace of God in our church? And why have you allowed for me to experience the grace of God in my family and experience all of what you deserve? Lord, I don't deserve those things. There have been many days when I've wondered, Lord, why have you allowed for us to experience all of your goodness and all of your grace? And that still small voice just reminds me, that's just grace. Don't try to wrap your mind around it. Don't try to figure it out. Just realize how wonderful my Savior is. In the book of Philippians, we see that Paul is acknowledging this. One of my favorite portions of Scripture is found in the book of Habakkuk. And in the book of Habakkuk, you see that things just continue to get worse and worse. And as you go to the book of Habakkuk, you come to a final verse, if you would. And you see that it continues to build on itself. It got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. 
to the point where you come and you begin to realize, could it get any worse? How are they going to respond? The Bible says in chapter number 3, verse number 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom. That's pretty bad. Neither shall fruit be in the vines. Oh, man. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. Man, could it get any worse? The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. I don't know about you, but if we were facing some of those circumstances, we'd become pretty bitter, wouldn't we? Oh, we'd say, well, if this is, this is the life that I'm going to live, then surely there's no God that is faithful. Surely there's no God to be worshipped. But in verse 18, the Bible says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And He will make my feet like hinds' feet, and He will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer, my stringed instruments. I could give you verse after verse after verse in Scripture where you begin to see a spirit of gratefulness. In the midst of trials, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of all of these things, you find that there are people that realize who God is and how wonderful He is. He still deserves our praise. The book of Psalm, you find in verse number 3 and 4 of Psalm 100, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. In Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 20, you look at Paul once again, and you say, man, what a life he lived, and all that he went through. But he goes on to say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Ephesians 5.20 Giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 107 verse 1 Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good for His mercy endureth forever. Three different times or four different times you'll go to Psalm 107 Oh, that men would praise the Lord. You say, ah, you don't understand what I'm going through, preacher. Pastor, I'm probably going through one of the darkest seasons of my life, and I'm enduring more than you'll ever experience. That very male may be true. One of the things that I have found to be true in my own life is that whenever I focus on all the things that are going on that aren't going my way or all the things that I don't have, a spirit of ungratefulness creeps in. But in the times whenever I just very simply find myself satisfied and content with who the Lord is, where He is working right this moment, what He is doing in my own personal life, how He is blessing this area, and just find myself saying, Lord, You're enough. I'm much more grateful for everything else. You see, one preacher put it this way, when he was dealing with all of these many things, Concerning the ungratefulness. And as you go and you look in in Exodus, you'll find there are many times whenever the people were ungrateful. In Exodus 14, Israel had an attitude of, we were better off in Egypt. In Numbers 11, we are thankful for the food we have gotten. In Numbers 14, we wish we were dead. In Malachi 1, verse 2, notice what the Bible says, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. Notice those words. 
Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Spirit of ungratefulness. Number three, we see the method of gratefulness will be done. As you begin to go back to the book of Ruth, you'll find a few strong words here. There's not much to them. She just begins to fall on her face. And as she falls on her face, she begins to ask the question. In that one moment, you find that she falls on her face and bows herself to the ground. And in that one moment in our own lives, we find ourselves so grateful for what God has done. And we say, nothing else matters because of who you are, Lord. And then the method of gratefulness here said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. She begins to acknowledge these things. You want to be a grateful Christian? You say, oh, it's just hard for me to acknowledge and, 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 and tell people. I have found it's much more, uh, much easier to be grateful whenever it's genuine. Growing up, there, there was a, a, a time whenever my parents and my stepdad used to be a reserve soldier in Columbus, Indiana, and he would travel up to uh, Camp Atterbury. And while he was doing that, he was working for Wonder Bread. I loved when he worked for Wonder Bread. We got any of the hostess snacks we wanted to for free. I mean, we had it made. He was working for Wonder Bread. My sister was working for Domino's. We got free food all the time. I mean, it was wonderful. And I remember that, that we, we weren't living high on the hog. We, we, I mean, making it from week to week, I found that out. And we moved from Columbus, Indiana to Columbus, Georgia. And I remember my parents, he, he had, my stepdad had gone active in the military and he moved us from Columbus, Indiana to Columbus, Georgia. And I was bitter at him and I was angry at my parents and said, why would you move us? We, we had all of our life worked out and everything figured out. We knew what our plans were and he knew what the Lord would have for us. And it was there as we moved to Columbus, Georgia, that I would end up getting saved and I would be called to preach and I would accept that, accept that call. I would find my wife and I would go to Bible college and I would find my way here. And I attribute much of that to a faithful parent who said, this is the will of God for our family. Can I share with you for just a moment, parents? Don't be afraid to do the will of God for your family. Look, you're always going to find opinions. Go and Google something. You'll find a lot of opinions there. You know, it's been, it's been said, and I, I, don't, you know, I don't know where I stand. Everybody has an armpit. Some stink. Some smell good. You know, they, but that's truth. Everyone has an opinion. But I'm thankful that my, my stepdad didn't take the opinion of all of those who said, no, you don't want to move there. You just keep your family here. You guys are already grounded. You guys have everything. Hey, Brother Cyrus, you and Ms. Deb, perfect example. Moving from Missouri, probably have people telling you, oh, you shouldn't have. All of a sudden, your grandchildren get saved. I don't know about you, but I'll take that any day. But as you come to this portion of Scripture, I, I go back in my mind and I think about those days and we move from Columbus, Indiana to Columbus, Georgia. Somewhere along the way, I believe my stepdad was riding a motorcycle and semi-truck cut him, cut him off and he laid his bike down, had a bunch of injuries and they didn't want to sue, they didn't want to have all that, so the, the people gave them a chunk, just don't tell anybody, you know, whatever. And I remember that during that time, my parents, I, I see the spirit of gratefulness. And my parents wanted to be a blessing, and so I remember them being a blessing to missionaries. 
a blessing to the pastor and pastor's wife, a blessing to other church families. And, and my parents are not perfect, they'll tell you. Far from it. But there are things that I've taken at times in my life whenever I can see a spirit of gratefulness. And I remember sitting down and talking and my, my stepdad acknowledging that they didn't deserve any of that. But with the things and the resources that the Lord had given them, they still wanted to be a blessing to others, a spirit of gratefulness. To this day, they still have that, that spirit. They'll, they'll still do all of these things. And the method of greatness, uh, gratefulness is experienced and it is also displayed. And I close with this for just a moment. In Philippians chapter number 2, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Can I share with you, our Savior deserved honor, but he received humiliation. He deserved love, but received loathing. He deserved adoration, but he received agony. He deserved praise, but received protest. He deserved more, but received less. He emptied Himself for you and for me. Because of this, we get to experience everything He desires for us to experience. We deserve humiliation, but in Christ we receive glory. We deserve to be hated, but we are dearly beloved. We deserve to be scorned, but we are given praise. We deserve poverty, but we are given riches. We deserve hell today, but are given given free salvation offered to all. That is the gift of salvation. That is the God we serve. Yet we're still ungrateful. Far too often in all of our lives, we live a life where we just walk through and we think, I deserve more. No, you've got more than you deserve. Can I encourage you this morning? You want to say, hey, I'm empty. I'm slowly dying. Well, how ungrateful are you this morning? You say, you just don't understand. Well, listen, stop depending on people to understand and take it to the God who understands all things. Far too often we get so frustrated with our brothers and sisters in Christ because they don't understand. They're not meant to understand some of those things. But if you're a child of God this morning, you have a God in heaven who loves you, who died for you, that understands everything that you're facing. He says, I'll bring you through it. Are you ungrateful this morning? It's time that we start addressing the things that are slowly killing Christians. And one of the things that is slowly killing many Christians is a spirit of ungratefulness. Can I encourage you this morning? Decide and determine right this very moment. Lord, I want to be a grateful Christian. Lord, you deserve it. Lord, we do thank you. We thank for all your many blessings. Lord, I thank you for this book. And Lord, we truly need to just spend time walking through it. But Lord, I thank you for the transition of thought that takes place in chapter number 2. Lord, when Ruth begins to fall on her knees, bow herself down, and acknowledge that she has just received something that she didn't deserve. Lord, I believe every single one of us this morning have received far more than we deserve.